Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Made for More podcast. Today I am joined by Dr. Ian D. Brooks, the CEO and founder of Rhodes Smith Consulting and author of Intention, Building Capabilities to Transform Your Story. Dr. Ian Brooks works with leaders in organizations to develop key skills in navigating within their organization and working with their teams. He also helps individuals build skills towards achieving their tomorrow and helping them master their intentions. Loved having a chat with uh, Dr. Brooks today on all things intention and leadership. Uh, this is a really great episode. Let's jump on in. If you do want to connect with Dr. Brooks, be sure to check out the show notes. Let's go. Welcome to the Made For More podcast. I'll be sharing my experiences along with some actionable advice to take your leadership to the next level. Introducing your host, it's me, Ali Nitschke. I'm a leadership and courageous conversations expert, a Nutella lover, a mother of four young boys, a wife and a dance floor junkie. I'm here to give you the motivation you need to level up, lead yourself, lead your team and your business. Let's go. And welcome to today's episode of the Made for More podcast. I am very excited to be joined by someone across across the seas. Hello and welcome, Dr. Ian Brooks. It is great to have you here. Oh, great, great to be here, Ali. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we're just saying before I hit record, it's uh, yesterday night for you and um, I'm coming, coming on, on in real time. So can you give us a little bit of an idea about where you've come from and where you're going? Absolutely. Um, so hello, everyone. Um, again, as Ali mentioned, I'm Dr. Ian D. Brooks. I'm the CEO and founder of Roadsmith Consulting, which focuses on personal and professional development and transforming your story. Um, I'm also the author of the book Intention, Building Capabilities to Transform Your Story. Um, my journey into being an author and being an entrepreneur and leader focused on coaching in particular has really expounded um, from early on, whereby as a 13-year-old, I decided I wanted to be a psychologist because I was always curious around why people did what they did and how they thought, how they thought, um, coupled with my own personal perspective that I feared judgment, whereby I didn't want to be too high on the getting A's because that offered expectations I didn't want, right? and I didn't want to be too low on that spectrum because that offered visibility that I did not want right. <laughs> in a bad way. So I typically stayed in the middle. Yep. Thus, a, a field in psychology really enabled me to be in the background while also catering to what I was really focused on, and that was caring for people. Yeah. And so for my journey, really lent itself from being a clinical psychologist and making my way through um, working a 24-hour lockdown ward with clients doing individual, in co uh, individual coaching while also doing group coaching and working with adults and kids, and then making my way to working with leaders, um, yeah. ultimately, and seeing how they're transforming their stories. And with a consistent theme of how do we all try to be better? And so for my journey, it really has been one of self-exploration, of creating awareness for myself, um, developing as an individual, developing as a professional, developing as a brother and a partner, while also developing 
tools and tips that I actually put in my book. And that was the impetus of how I even came up with my book intention was because of feedback I was getting from my clients of whom I was coaching, while also recognizing it was feedback I was getting from myself. Because not only was I mm. the author, I was also a client. And as such, it's taken me on a journey of still helping people from a clinical side and now into business and now into personal. But as important, individually speaking, creating my own voice, creating a new chapter, each and every podcast, each and every conversation, and each and every client of whom I have. Yeah. Wow. What a journey. So when you were 13, did you, that that was it? Once you made that decision, you didn't, um, you stayed the course and, and you you went on to go and study psychology and that's how you ended up there? Or we, you tried it and then you thought, oh, actually, so tell me a little bit more about that. No, absolutely. Um, you know, it's interesting. I've always stayed in psychology. So yeah. while I was the 13-year-old thinking I was going to be a clinician, uh, clinical psychologist, you know, my journey, you know, going into an undergraduate studies here in the States, getting a bachelor's in science in psychology, working with adolescents and children, and then going to get my master's degree in clinical psychology, where I was doing more uh, adult and intelligence testing and working in that 24-hour lockdown ward. It offered a foundation of awareness of, again, the reasons people do what they do. Not only yeah. is it from their perspective, a clinical uh, chemical imbalance, but it's also how do they interact with their environment? So you think about our environments, of our people, places, and things yeah. that surround us and keep us where we are. So if I just for a moment, just describe that clinical setting, it was, it was a 24 hour lockdown environment whereby people could not leave and go as they please. And mm. so thus we can control them and how they took their medicine and the coaching and the supportive environment that they were in. Mm. Now, take them outside of that environment and you put them back into the world that is uh, free of choice and now there's separate rules and regulations but yet you still have an ability to do something you have the safety of your friends and family the routines that you normally mm. had and now all of a sudden now you've got challenges because now we've taken you from this secluded isolated area and now brought you back into an environment that is wide open now of freedom of choice mm. now Fast forward, now in that environment, I learned so much and it really established my foundation of how I even coach my clients and, and individuals within organizations or one-on-one because that, that, that acknowledgement in that environment enabled me to create awareness around what we all struggle with because we're all searching for that safety. Mm-hmm. And in that respect, when I, after that clinical in, uh, experience, I was like, well, I want to work with higher functioning people. <laughs> well, what I, what I didn't realize is that we can just cope better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that, but that coping still in that environment, in that context, still enables our environment because we're going back and forth and what we're doing and how we're doing. We're working with successful people who are just yeah. now t- trying to expand beyond the boxes of which someone or something has placed us in, or even our own choice. Mm-hmm. And now it's about acknowledging what those boxes are and how one, we've created characters around those because of safety and we've been very good at it, mm-hmm. as well as the environment around there, our friends, our routines, how we get feedback in order for us to move forward. And yeah. this reinforces the things and the behaviors of whom we become. And so it's a very common theme of which I've experienced across my entire clinical side. And when I'm and, and for acknowledgement, once I moved from clinical psychology, I got my doctorate in industrial organizational psychology, wow. working with organizations. 
and working with people to focus on coaching, change management, yeah. technology implementations, et cetera, of which I've been uh, afforded the opportunity to work with a who's who of organizations and globally to see this transformation take shape, but also recognize the challenges that are represented for each of us as leaders and as people, mm-hmm. as we look to try to do something different. And mm-hmm. it's been a wonderful journey in that respect. Mm, that's it. That is an incredible journey. You mentioned um, you wanted to work with, I guess, some higher functioning people. Yes. And then you, you realized that that was just we were better at coping. And I think we're hearing more and more about the importance of resilience and that ability to bounce back. Can you talk yes. a little bit around, I guess, from a corporate corporate setting, from a business setting, what what are some of the main drivers or, of resilience? Is it something that you're naturally born with? Is it something that you can learn? Do we need to practice it continually? Tell me a little bit more about resilience and, and your findings. No, absolutely. It, uh, resilience is a key attribute um, with many leaders and just anyone within a corporate environment or just as people in general. Um, I think I do believe that it can be learned. Now, in that learning, it's easier for some than it is for others yeah. to build, build that resilience. Because as we think about the, and determine and define the word resilience, it's about that ability to now move forward. Given our peaks and valleys, there's another layer of capability behind that. Am I confident enough in myself to actually move forward? Am I capable enough, i.e. do I have the skills to move forward? Do I have the support necessary to move forward? Yeah. Resilience in and of itself, in, it can be learned, but yet there's so much complexity around the reasons people are resilient versus those who are not. Because mm-hmm. the resilience means that you're breaking through, breaking through the challenges, those points in time when there's struggle and, and uh, unsurety. It mm-hmm. also means that from a resilience standpoint, that you have a continuous passion to move forward, that mm-hmm. this is something that's important to you. Mm-hmm. Now, when we actually think about that and put it into the context of an, of an organization, yeah. that resilience looks a lot different for executives than it does from mid-level leaders than it does from individual contributors. Yeah. For that executive, it's about influence at that point. That's resilience, right? It's about the partnerships. It's about yeah. communication is how can I get my idea to someone? How can I forge relationships? From a mid-level manager perspective, that is now I'm managing up while also managing down because I'm going to have two varying different perspectives on how things should be going. One from yeah. a strategic, one from a tactical. Yeah. And now how do I build influence around my own peers and also my own team? Mm-hmm. And from an individual contributor standpoint, that influence is how do I push through knowing that I didn't sign up for this, knowing I didn't sign up for this direction. So as we think about the idea of influence, and now it's now it's laid over into the organizational side. Yeah. It isn't necessarily carte blanche where it's applicable for all. It does and is defined, in my experience, based off the roles of which we're playing, as well as the perspective of which we're now executing and pushing through and seeing that resilient behavior. Yeah, that that is a really interesting um, way of describing it and, and I guess thinking about resilience at all those different layers. And mm-hmm. I know you've got a background in change management and that's a lot yeah. what you do now as well. Um, and I think... I think change management is one of those things that sometimes organizations pop in because they've seen it somewhere and heard, you know, if you're going to implement a project, we need to think of the people, let's do change management. Um, Whereas a lot of the leaders that I work with, I think we need to be equipping leaders with the change 
I guess, the, the skills to be able to navigate their people through change. So if we're thinking about those different levels where you were saying exec, middle management, and then the people that were like, I didn't actually sign up for this, I change resistors. Tell me or walk me through a little bit of some of the, I guess, the necessities that leaders need from a change perspective to be able to get through that resilience threshold, to get through that breakthrough, um, to be able to get their people on board. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of complexity um, related to any change. Um, as I like to describe it in two separate ways, it's like driving down the highway and there's so many off ramps. Yes. <laughs> so people have not a lot of opportunity to just leave and you just don't know when they're going to come on and when they're going to come off. Mm, so that's a very good. continuous effort to make sure that we're in constant engagement with individuals. Secondly, um, what I like to describe it early on, um, prior to describing the layers, is that change management is nothing more than a clock where we're describing a time. If the time is mm. seven o'clock, then it's seven o'clock. We are nothing more than a reflection of what the project is actually doing. A culmination mm -hmm. of ideas, milestones, engagement, as well as strategy, acknowledging nothing more than where should you be thinking in this moment? In this case, in a clock example, time. Yeah. So we are nothing more than time in that respect. Oh, that's a mind bent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, to, to, your, to your very question, though, it, it, because it, it varies across an organization. As I cross the levels of organization in particular, which I just, just, just described, at that executive level, they're thinking about it more from a strategic standpoint, from that mm. ROI. They're mm -hmm. looking at it as transparency on a sheet of paper of how many dollars, how many cents, how many people, how much headcount, how, many stake, how much stakeholder awareness, mm -hmm. how much shareholder value have we had. Yeah. That's about different engagement of why we need, from their perspective, the influence becomes such a key indicator and driver. It requires that, how does the strategy drive the business forward? And how are we articulating that? How are we now articulating that strategy in alignment with other strategies from other leaders Yeah. at that level? Now, as we take a step down to that third level, or excuse me, second level, it's around that mid-level leaders. Those are the leaders who are actually executing that strategy and now embarking upon, how do I get my team and my teams able to do this? Yeah. <laughs> so they probably have the most difficult job of anyone from a hundred percent. They're the ones sending out communication. They need to make sure that their leaders up top know what actually is supposed to be changing because those leaders aren't involved in it at all. They just look at it from a sheet of paper perspective. These mid-level leaders are the ones of really of, of whom are the drivers, both in voice modeling, as well as articulation from a message standpoint of what is actually happening. In that respect, they're really looking at it and engaged from a perspective of how well have I communicated the message? How well have I identified who my true stakeholders are impacting mm. this change from an end-to-end -end perspective, not necessarily a myopic siloed perspective? Mm -hmm. It's also important that these leaders at that mid-level area really carry the brunt of the weight of engagement. So who are they actually going out and engaging in those stakeholder conversations? Acknowledging that what we want to change right now may have had an impact two years ago, a la because we didn't do something that another line of business wanted to do. Now mm. we're having to pay the price for something that we swept under the rug or we poo-pooed <laughs> their idea and now they're <laughs> going to come back on us. Now those mid-level leaders and those executives at that level are really in a, in a tight bind because now we're course correcting on things that we should have been doing all along. Yeah. In that 
context, they're also able to now influence. In that respect, they're frontline leaders and those frontline employees, really creating a voice of reason, of articulating, say, you know what, here's what we have done in the past. Here's how we're setting you up for success. Because those frontline individuals are concerned about the very basics. Number one, they don't want business disruption. They're yep. used to doing what they're doing. Yep. Even if they don't like what they're doing, <laughs> even if they know that there's challenges. If you come to them with those ideas, they did not create them. So thus, how well have you actually heard them? Oh, that's good. And in that respect, they're going to voice their concerns. And if it, as a mid-level leader, having to take the brunt of that voice, really that engagement now sets the tone of how well have we actually heard those frontline individuals whose jobs, whose behaviors, and whose thinking from that thinking, feeling, doing perspective mm -hmm. are the ones who are going to have to do something different. Yeah. As that, in that context, their awareness, on-time training, and yeah. also ongoing support, knowing that whatever changes that we do have are a place of reference, not of resident, that there's going to be continuation and build and evolution. They need to be able to trust and thus, for those frontline individuals, making sure that they're heard from yeah. that mid-level leader and creating their engagement, as well as making sure that they're trained from a behavior standpoint to make sure that they feel safe yeah. and can get their job done is extremely important. Yeah, that is, that's gold. And I think that that's often a piece that's missing is actually tapping into your, your frontline staff and saying, hey, I get, you know, we're making this big shift and, and that what's in it for me or what's in it for them. Um, that buy-in piece. So your book around uh, intentions, so building capabilities to transform your story, did that come about from, I guess, what you were seeing and hearing and, and working with in corporate or how did your book come about? Tell me a little bit more about it. Sure. It actually did come from the corporate space, but also my own personal experience um, going through change, actually writing the book in, in a number of respects. Um, the book was actually created um, initially, when I just started jotting down notes of where I saw my leaders, uh, both from an executive standpoint, mid-level area, as well as the individuals of whom I was coaching outside of the corporate arena, mm -hmm. where they were mm -hmm. struggling on their own personal journey. Yeah. Um, it originally came about, it came about where, what were all the questions that they were consistently asking, or I was having to come back and always answer. Yeah. And it really boiled down to where were people struggling? And it really came to two different areas. Mm -hmm. The first thing is one, everyone talks about how can I sustain this? Like I can't sustain my, I can't sustain this change. Yeah. But if I actually break down the sustainment piece, it actually, the trouble isn't around the sustainment. That's just the end result. Mm -hmm. It really comes down to, did you have the right foundation? Yeah. And in that context, did they really understand who they are from a change perspective and development perspective? Did they understand what the real goal, what that they were trying to achieve? And did they actually have a passion? Did they actually understand what they were wanting to achieve and own it? A la integrating into who they are as an individual, much less what was prescribed to them as they were moving forward. And in that context, it really established the foundation of the, of the book intention, realizing that people were struggling with, they didn't really have a good sense of what they were solving for. Uh -huh. Secondly, they didn't really own it and integrated into who they were as people. They were mm -hmm. just trying to check boxes. Yeah. And, and in our world and society, that's what happens, right? You think about the work environment, it's just checking boxes, say, hey, yes, I did it. It's a performance evaluation type of scenario or 
employee survey feedback. Yeah. Box I need to check. I'm just going to yeah. check this box or to pain point in our personal lives. Like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm struggling with something. I just need to do something. I want to minimize that, 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 that pain. I don't want that pain anymore. Just give me the injection. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> but in those scenarios, guess what? We can't sustain. You haven't, we haven't built the infrastructure to sustain. Mm-hmm. Thus, we haven't set ourselves up for success and building capabilities to actually do it. Mm-hmm. We haven't built the behaviors. Yeah. We haven't built the thought. We haven't built the feeling. We haven't built the consciousness mm-hmm. of which intention is intended to be. And as such, when I put this book together, that's where it started. And it's ironic. I, I, did, I mentioned that not only did it, did it start there, but I also went through the process myself. Right. More specifically, when I wrote my first version of this book, of which this is not the first version of this book, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, it was an audio book. And I talk about it in the book and later in, later in, the, later in some of the, the parts. But, you know, I, I wrote the first version of this book and I, it was an audio book. And if I just were to, you know, quickly go back and say, when I was at that 13 year old, as I mentioned earlier, I was fearful of judgment. I wanted uh-huh. to always get it back. So yeah. imagine just now bringing that 13 year old in front and now having to write a book with my name on it and with my thoughts on it. Yeah. <laughs> Quite honestly, that was the challenge. Yeah. And as a result, when I actually did the audiobook, I was one, I had never done an audiobook before. I'd never been on the microphone. I never really shared my thoughts outward because as a clinical psychologist, you're trained not to actually share your thoughts. Yes. And so it's, uh, you know, you know, it's, it's a lot different. And so now putting my thoughts down on paper, now putting it on a mic where other people can hear actually when I, what I am saying in my internal thoughts, imagine the emotional, well, I will tell you the emotional toll it took <laughs> um, in, that, in that moment was like, oh, oh man, this is, this is a lot. Yeah. This is a lot. And after the first day of recording, I was just emotionally drained. I was stuck yeah, in words and things. I was just reading off a script, right? I mean, that's ultimately what, what it was. But I realized not only was I scared reading this words off the script, I was also recognizing in that moment of what the words I'd actually had written were not very clear. They weren't uh-huh. in that because I, I was holding myself back. Again, yeah. going back to my own training, going back to my own training as a, a, a being fearful of judgment, being a, a, a psychologist and, and doing what's right by the client. So you don't go too deep into what your client experiences are. Even after having been out of the clinical side for 20 years, yeah. it still was ingrained in me. And this drove this out. And so after listening to my 52 clips of my audiobook, which were painstaking, by the way, um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I had a choice to make in that respect. And that the choice was I could say, great, check the box. Let's move forward. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't need to publish this audiobook. I can say I, I, I did it and, and move on with my life. Mm-hmm. But if I really wanted to grow and mm-hmm. even build my own capabilities to be truly the person of whom um, is authentic and is, has a voice and has a perspective, then mm-hmm. this is my opportunity to do what I coach all of my clients to do. And so as, as a result, um, I scrapped the entire audiobook and <laughs> oh, no. I everything I did. And I started from scratch yep. with the impetus and focus to really own my voice. Wow. And as a result of that experience, personal acknowledgement, and even growth, um, it afforded me to become the 
author the book needed me to be. Oh. That is one with disability. Yeah. Ownership of voice. Mm. Authenticity to myself, mm. as well as my clients, as well as bringing points out to the level that I felt comfortable with. And as such, um, this book was born as a result, long-winded way to answer your question, both of what I'm asking my clients to do and what they struggle with, as much as it was a book for me to manage what I was struggling with as well. Mm. That's amazing. I, I've just recently written a book as well, so I can understand your pain of having to start <laughs> start over again. And then you're like, no, it's not good enough. What I can't put my thoughts out here. Oh my goodness, what's what if someone says something? Um, so yeah, I can completely empathize with that. The journey that you went through. And um, I think all all authors who have written a book will be going, yep, have gone through the exact same journey yes. at some stage as well. Um, I just wanted to touch on something that you mentioned around what you're seeing in the workplace and and people not having the capability or building the foundation, but that was also transferring to, I guess, personal life. So I'm of the belief that if things are going poorly in home life, then things at work probably are a little bit subpar as well. Similarly, if you're having a terrible time at work, you're probably not having the best time at home. And when you're just talking about, you know, building this capability, I think often we overlook, and correct me if I'm wrong, often we overlook the fact that we actually need to build capability outside of work. Yes. Whereas normally capability is one of those corporate terms, air quotes, you build capability, you've got your KPIs, you've got these targets to meet, et cetera, et cetera. You learn X, Y, and Z skill to better your career or better, um, I guess, the quality of the work that you're doing. What have you found to be some of the, I guess, integral qualities or capabilities that people need to build in their personal lives through your work with intention? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, and I would actually expand it to say the capabilities are very, or let me be more specific, the capabilities are transferable to any situation, be it personal or corporate. Ah, awesome. So in, in that respect, when I'm working with my clients, both in the corporate and personal space, and what I know your question is on the personal side, mm. is around communication. So yeah. while I was worried about my own communication and writing a book, which is purely personal. There's nothing corporate about that at all. It's just my own personal goals that I had for myself. Yeah. My ability to communicate in the depth of which I was willing to go and expound and to share, not only was in my personal life, but also extended to my professional life. Yeah. To the extent that, you know, I, I went on, you know, I was doing some training and, and I got some feedback once you know, as I was writing this book that, you know, they don't know who's the real Ian. Is this the real person that you and, and it was it was an awareness point for me. And it's like, yes, that's the real Ian. Now, do you want more of me? Then that's a different question and a different conversation versus mm. the person that I'm showing up as. In that corporate space was the same way I was showing up in my personal space. So as I think about that in a in that general perspective, I just want to highlight that the capabilities of which I see in this particular, very particular example of communication of which I see and work with my, my personal individuals really reflects what's also reflected in just about any other situation we're in. Mm. In that respect, so communication is huge. Also, our ability to listen. Mm. How yeah. effective are we at listening? And that's, you know, sometimes people combine that with communication and oftentimes it is the form of communication, one of speaking, but also listening. But I often bring out 
listening in and of itself because listening oftentimes in communication is defined by having a conversation back and forth, mm. whereby listening means I don't necessarily have to speak. I'm also listening for body language, tone, context, knowing that it's beyond me individually, but it's about the other person who's mm. actually or the other thing that is actually talking. And thus, I oftentimes bring that and separate it out because I often find that the clients of whom I work with individually need and are focused on that ability to listen. Also, a lot of my personal clients are focused on expansion, mm. beyond the box that they find themselves. In that respect, they're already successful. Yeah. Uh, they've built in patterns and routines based off of that success. Mm-hmm. Now, when I'm working with them, the capability I'm expanding upon is they're trusting the vulnerability of which the newness offers oh. and what the newness also means. Yeah. In that newness, it also means giving up by leaving things that they were already successful in the capabilities of which they had built to that point behind or not relying upon them as a crutch as mm-hmm. much as it is a reference. And now I'm building behaviors and new mm-hmm. routines around their new expectations. Because now to get from where they are to where they want to be is about choice. Yeah. Not about I have to, not about and based off of fear. Yeah. It is now how do we move forward? And mm-hmm. thus now it's an, an, a different emotional change of which we're now embarking upon. It's now extending it from our behavior and combining it with the emotional context of what now this change means. And the third piece behind that, redefining and reframing what success is defined by. Oh, Not yeah, necessarily an end result, yeah. but the capabilities and new consistency of which we're building. Yeah, that's good. So tapping into that, I guess, that intrinsic driver rather than just, yeah, setting some goals and, and going for it because it's a checkbox. Absolutely. Yeah, that's gold. And trusting yourself in those capabilities you've already built. You mm. now know that you have the confidence to move forward. And as we talked about early on, some of those peaks and valleys of that consistency. How do yeah. you persevere? And how do you make sure that you consistently move forward? Yeah. That's sometimes a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. That continual motion forward. I love it. So what would be then, um, I know we've, we've covered actually quite a few topics by the time we've gone intention and, oh, yeah. <laughs> and change and we've just zipped straight through. What would be your top five tips for, uh, for leaders, for our listeners? Yeah, yeah. I think, it, you know, for, for our leaders, um, the, the first thing is be true to yourself. Oh, love it. Um, I think that's number one. True to yourself means in more specific detail, acknowledging that you are unique. You're already good at what you do. Yeah. Being a leader extends beyond just being good at what you do, but how, from behavior standpoint, you actually enact that across the board. That means how you impact the organization from an ROI standpoint. And as important, how we interact and work with our employees because we don't necessarily want to leave a wake behind us. Mm-hmm. The second piece behind that is adaptation. Recognize that at the end of the day, we don't know everything as leaders. 
as a former leader myself, um, I, I stepped into an organization and was brought in as a leader to lead 15 full-time employees and 10 contractors. And yeah. the youngest person from a year standpoint had been there two years. I didn't know a thing about that organization. <laughs> but what made me successful was my ability to adapt. Yeah. And that adaptation meant that I knew what I knew. I knew what I didn't. And I trusted both. I trusted I knew how to lead. I also trusted that I didn't necessarily need to go down to that weeds, but I can adapt because my job as a leader is to enact change, mm. to offer support, to now drive. And so the ability to adapt, knowing that we can't prescribe everything was extremely important. Yeah, that's the, third thing I'll, the third thing I'll, I'll, I would suggest is consistently have your work ethic. Yeah, cool. Our work ethic extends beyond just doing the normal things and saying we're working strategically and otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, that work ethic means that sometimes we come in early and do the things that we're not expected to. Mm-hmm. Do the things that we're not comfortable with or that our employees are telling us what to do. Yeah. That builds goodwill, but also your work ethic shows understanding. It means that you're always striving for more. Mm-hmm. Does that mean we're always right? Mm-hmm. And it's always easy. It does not mean it's always enjoyable. But our work ethic really demonstrates who we are as individuals. And for the best leaders I've ever worked for and the best leaders I've ever coached have demonstrated work ethic. Yeah. Now to that leads me to my fourth point. That means if you can have great work work ethic, but it all starts with passion. What really is your passion? Mm. That, and that passion comes from choice. That does not come from an organization. That does not come from anything external other than who you are. Yeah. That passion for what you do and how you do it. That will carry you forward. And the fifth thing I will have for leaders, recognize that you are all, as well as and as strong as we are, we are also single points of failure manage our pipelines talent-wise to develop our succession. To acknowledge that just as we have our own ambition, we're also managing the ambitions of of others. Mm -hmm. As such, realize that the, the diverse perspective, talent, be it gender, race, even role, even outside of our immediate view, offers a lens from a development perspective that can extend beyond our immediacy. As a coach, I recognize my job is to close a gap or to more closely align behaviors between expectations and what's actually happening. As Mm. a leader, our expectation is the same from a talent development perspective to recognize we're bringing people along to close that gap and who knows, they may close your own personal gap. Ah. Uh, and while you move on to something else, they can now take what you've done and extend it even further. Yeah. And there's no better joy, me personally being a coach, me being a former leader, to acknowledge that my teams, I hope, and my people have extended well beyond where I've been able to carry them. Yeah. And so those would be my five things that I They're would suggest. Awesome. 
Yeah, I love it. I love that one around closing the gap at the end. That's gold. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. If people are looking to find you on the socials, where do you like to hang out? Yeah, I like to, to hang out in uh, several places. Um, from a social media standpoint on Instagram, Twitter, um, you can find me on Dr. B underscore intention. Um, that's on Instagram and Twitter. I'm also nice. on Facebook under Ian Brooks, or you see some of my posts as well, but I tend to hang out a little bit more on Instagram and Twitter. I'm also found on my personal website at rhodessmith.com. That's R-H-O-D-E-S-S-M-I-T-H.com. There they'll find um, links to this podcast and others, as well as my coaching of which I do individually and group coaching, as well as for uh, leaders within organizations. Um, there they'll also find a little bit more background around my book and where to purchase it on Amazon, as well as on Barnes and Noble. And it is in uh, print, as you see here, um, ebook, and there will be an audio book that comes out a little bit later this year. Amazing. I'll pop all of the links into the show notes for today's show. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been awesome. No, thank you, Alice. It's been a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you enjoyed this episode on the Made For More podcast, please make sure you subscribe to receive future episodes. And of course, five-star reviews are always welcome on the Apple podcast. If you'd like a copy of the show notes or any of the links mentioned today, check out madeformore.com.au forward slash podcast. And of course, if we aren't connected already, you can find me in all the usual places. Ali Nitschke on LinkedIn, ali.madeformore on Facebook and Instagram. I hope you have an awesome week and I'll catch you again soon. Bye-bye.